it was quite a while that I made that video, but I remember one of the techniques was chunking. Boom. So, you know, you can do this during a hard effort or you can just do this during a long ride. Um, you know, breaking that ride or that effort into chunks. Like, let's say that you're doing a 20-minute threshold effort, which is quite quite a long threshold effort. You know, maybe break that into five-minute chunks. Like, just say, okay, like, I need to get through the first five minutes. Okay, now I'm through the first five minutes. So I just need to get through the second five minutes. Like, don't think about how you have 20 minutes left to ride at threshold. Think about how you got five minutes left. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode 22 of the Matchbox Podcast presented by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and today I'm joined by Dylan Johnson and Caitlin Maddox. We kick off the show this week with some Leadville recap. Dylan and I both raced in Leadville this past weekend, and we had quite a bit to share. Then we get into some listener questions that have trickled in over the past couple weeks. We all agreed that we really like this format of lobbying questions out there and just kind of providing our takes. So please keep those coming. Send any questions you have to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email titled The Matchbox Podcast or head over to Instagram and find us on there and send us a DM. Oh yeah, one more thing. If you haven't had the chance to get your hands on some Flow Formulas products yet, head over to flowformulas.com and use the coupon code IGNITIONPODCAST to get yourself some endurance sports-specific nutrition products like high-carb drink mixes, hydration mix, recovery powders, and more all optimized for your specific endurance needs. Again, that's coupon code Ignition Podcast, one word, all lowercase, for 10% off your next order. All right, let's get into it. All right, guys, TGIF. Woo-hoo. Man, it seems like it's been a long week. I don't know about you, Dylan, but I feel like whenever you come off like a big race, it's like the first few days of the week just seem to kind of all mesh together. Yeah, well, I was driving back from Colorado to North Carolina, which is quite a long drive for the first three days of the week. So, yeah, they definitely mesh together. So did you guys stop in a few places then? Yeah, we took, I don't know, three three days to drive back. I think it was like a 25-hour drive. Um, and then, you know, your legs feel not great from the race and sitting in the car all day doesn't help that. So, uh, I don't know. I always feel like recovery after a race like that, you know, with, with a lot of travel afterwards is not great. Yeah, for sure. Um, so speaking of race like that, so today we're going to have uh, listener questions that we're going to get through for the second half, but uh, the first half, we are going to talk about this race that took place over the weekend. Uh, so Dylan and I both raced the Leadville Trail 100. Uh, Dylan, it was your first time. It was my second time. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get into it. You want to you wanna kick us off? Sure. Yeah, so I Leadville is part of the Lifetime Grand Prix, which is the main reason I was doing it. But, I mean, it's also just a cool race. So uh, I've done a lot of hundred mile mountain bike racing and I've never done Leadville, which is kind of crazy. Um, like hundred mile mountain bike racing used to be my main focus probably in my early twenties and I never did Leadville. So it was good to check it off the, off the bucket list. Um, I, I had probably as good a preparation for the altitude as you could possibly get. Like we stayed, uh, over a month at altitude and I felt like I, you know, 
I felt like I was responding well to the altitude. And we also, we didn't stay at 10,000 feet for a month. We kind of stair-stepped it. So, you know, we stayed for a week in at 6,000 and then we stayed for a week at 7,000 and then we stayed for a week at 9,000. And then finally the last two weeks we stayed at 10,000. And I felt, I felt like that was probably better than just going straight from sea level to 10,000 and feeling like crap for two weeks. And, you know, the training's really suffering. I actually got in some really solid training while I was at altitude. Obviously the power numbers weren't as high as at sea level, but the volume was, I, I put in two of the highest volume weeks that I've done so far this year. So I was very happy with my preparation for the race. And, um, you know, the race, the race went pretty well too. I finished in six hours, 45 minutes, uh, which I, I think is a, you know, really good time (laughs) that only got me 20th place, but I think it's, it's kind of like, uh, unbound in that if you had told me that at unbound, I would go sub 10 hours, I, I'd be freaking out. I'd be like, that's that's insane and then if you told me oh and all by the way that's that's going to get you 25th place i would be like oh (laughs) (laughs) i think it just goes to show the level of competition that the lifetime series has brung to these races and it's not even the it's not even just the lifetime series i think it's just that you know gravel racing and then kind of offer you know long distance off-road racing in general in the u.s is exploding um i mean the you know the Every single year, the competition is stepping up a notch. And, you know, <laughs> I, a couple of years ago, a, a 20th place at, at a race like this, I, I can't imagine myself being happy with. But also, you know, a 20th place a couple of years at Leadville would have been like a time of, I don't know, 7.15, right? Or, or much higher. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Seven, seven and a half hours, yeah. Sure. So, you know, um, I'm trying not to put too much, em- like, you know, put too much emphasis on the placing and focus on the fact that I had a good ride. I had a good time, uh, historically speaking. So, so I'm happy with it. I think as far as like how the race was executed, I knew that, that blowing up at altitude is much easier than blowing up at sea level. So I, I kept my effort very measured. Like when they started going really hard up the first climb, I didn't just mindlessly follow, follow wheels. Um, cause I knew that the pace that they were setting was probably too high. Uh, and, and so I was, you know, I was pretty much at the front, uh, you know, only for the first five miles until that first climb, which had, I, you know, thrown pacing out the window i probably could have maybe stayed with the front group all the way to the bottom of columbine and then i would have been absolutely toasted at columbine and probably finished much worse um but you know fortunately there's a bunch of roadies doing this race who are very strong that i managed to catch at the bottom of uh power line so I'm, i'm throwing out these names and some people who don't know leadville probably don't know what i'm talking about but there's two climbs in the beginning uh, and the second climb has a pretty, probably the gnarliest descent of the race before a kind of flat section before the biggest climb and descent of the race, which is Columbine at the halfway point. So that flat section, it's very helpful to draft. And I ended up catching 
Rob Britton and Nikki Terpstra at the bottom uh, of that descent. And Rob Britton and Nikki Terpstra are incredibly strong. I mean, Nikki Terpstra freaking won Perry Roubaix. Rob Britton uh, is a big dude. Lots of lots of power on the flats. I mean, he's sitting like I think sixth place in the lifetime Grand Prix series. Serious powerhouse. And that was super helpful in that flat section. Uh, when we when we hit Columbine, I uh, Rob Britton and I we dropped Nikki Terpstra off our wheel, and we kind of rode up Columbine together. And then when we got when we got back, de- you know, then it's an it's an out and back race, so we come back down Columbine, and and I, and uh, probably in the last two hours of the race is where I really started to fade. Um, I didn't blow up like I, I kept it moving, but you know, if I look at my power file, the <laughs> the last two hours of the race get a little ugly. Um, but I, I mean, I, I lost, I think I was high, as high as 15th place at one point, And then I lost five places in the last two hours, but managed to keep it inside the top 20 um, just barely. So yeah, I'm happy with it. I have a question. Yeah. So nutrition strategy, bike setup, tactics, like is there anything you would have done differently? Yeah, I think so. I think probably what I did wrong with fading in the last two hours was probably a tactical error. I I felt like I paced myself well, but on Columbine, I... I probably should have bumped it down a notch. I was really, I, I was going up Columbine sort of at my limit. Um, and probably what I should have done in hindsight was just bump it down a notch, just realize that, hey, we're only halfway through this thing. So there's still a long way to go after Columbine. And also, I, you know, I wanted to stay with Rob Britton so that he could help me on the flats. But like, honestly, just having a little bit left in the tank for the second half would have probably been better. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and this was, was a, this was a big race for you, right? I mean, like this was one of your A races yeah. that you were kind of planning around. Yeah. I mean, I would have to say that probably my two A races for the year were unbound in this race. Um, and so like both races went very similar in terms of the result, uh, like the time was very good. The the ride was very good. I was happy with how I rode. And then the competition is just so insane at both of them that the placing was, you know, I don't want to say it was like mediocre, but it's just, it's something where if you tell someone that you got 25th place or 20th place, it seems like unimpressive. You know what I mean? Um, so. Yeah. And, and especially, I mean, both those races this year had historic, um, depth for the field mm-hmm. so yeah you know like someone who's raced leadville for the last 10 years they hear 20th place and they're like oh cool nice job but we both know because we were there this year that the level sure. of competition was just extremely elevated and i think it's you know i think it's the the concentration of the lifetime athletes you know i think that definitely helps bring um mm-hmm. you know the, the pointy end of the race up a notch but also there's the rest of us who are like we, you know, we want to go race against you guys because we want the chance to race against the best of the best, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easier to find those, those fields now. Cause it's like these six events, you know, that if you show up, you're going to be racing against the best of the best. 
Yep. Um, whereas in years past, you know, it'd be a little bit more diluted because, you know, half those guys wouldn't be, you know, either not even racing off-road or, you know, they'd be doing other races and stuff. So that that is, I, I think it's super cool. You know, obviously, you know, raises the level of competition and makes it more challenging. But I think it's super cool that you can find these pockets of like, you know, the highest level of competition at some of these races. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I have another question for Dylan, and yeah. then I'm excited to hear about your Leadville, Adam. Didn't you uh, consider doing Leadboat this year, Dylan? Yeah, I was. <laughs> so I was signed up. I've, I've been signed up for SBT since, I don't know, the spring. Um, and I basically didn't make the call about whether or not to do SBT until after Leadville finish. <laughs> and the reason for that is because um basically I there were two scenarios in which I was going to do SBT. One of the scenarios was I do exceptionally well at Leadville, um like really shock myself at how well I do at Leadville and I don't want to throw away that opportunity to potentially do well at Leadboat. Um I didn't end up doing exceptionally well at Leadville. I just did well. So I was like you know, this is not an opportunity for me to like get on the podium or something at lead boat. So it's, you know, whatever. The other scenario is if like my Leadville race had gone terribly, like maybe I have some sort of catastrophic mechanical and can't even finish the race and feel like I need to redeem myself the next day. That also didn't happen. So I just, I personally, I would rather recover quicker from this race and start preparing for the next race quicker than have another 25th place at steamboat the next day. Um, you know, like that being, being more prepared for like the next lifetime race is more important to me than having an, another mediocre day at steamboat. Yeah. And, and similar to Leadville, I mean, Steamboat pulled a massively, you know, massive and super strong field this year again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know what they're doing right, but they 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 get some of the deepest fields of any of the gravel races. Um, yeah, you know, I, so, so that that was going to be a challenge in itself too. It was like, you know, coming in with seven hours of of racing from the day before. I mean, there granted there were a lot of guys who who did the Leadboat this year. You know, a lot of the top guys did, but. Um, there's also a ton of just gravel pros and, you know, gravel specialists who just showed up for steamboat. Yeah. Which is a very good, if you're a gravel specialist who has no interest in doing Leadville, doing steamboat is, is a very good, just steamboat is a very good tactic for you. Cause there's going to be a lot of dudes who, who would normally be super strong with very tired legs. Yeah. Uh, and you've got a little bit of an advantage. I would say that probably the reason that steamboat is so big is because they actually put, put up like, you know, a substantial amount of prize money. Like from year one, the prize money was, was up there and people were like, well, that looks like a good gravel race to go to if I want to make some money. Um, yeah. So yeah, for sure. Um, so, so yeah, so I did Leadville too, and my approach was like, couldn't have been more different than Dylan's, I would say. Um, partly because this wasn't an A race for me. I, I, I sort of got a last minute entry into the race and already had my season mapped out. Um, 
but it was still a big race for me. I mean, it's still Leadville. Like you, you don't just take Leadville lightly. Uh, at least you shouldn't, or, you know, it's hard to. So for me, like the, the way that like the approach that I took was this was like a C race on paper for training, you know, like training and racing, but I prepped off the bike as if it was an A race. So it kind of like equaled out to be like a kind of B priority for me. So like, you know, did all the work I needed to, to get my bike, you know, set up properly, uh, you know, executed like nutrition super well coming in, made sure I was, you know, really well rested. And, uh, you know, I was kind of planning ahead for, um, you know, thinking through all the, um, you know, support on course and things like that, you know, so I definitely didn't come in like willy nilly, just, you know, show up and kind of do whatever. Like I, I definitely had a plan. Um, but I, you know, more or less trained straight through Leadville. Um, I didn't really take alter anything in my training plan other than swapping out a weekend ride for, for Leadville. Um, and because of that, like there was no incentive for me to try and come out and acclimate. Uh, the, the earliest I could have come out was probably a week in advance, which like, you know, research will show, I mean, there, there can be some benefits to that, but it can also be quite detrimental too. Cause you're kind of like in the peak of, making those adaptations to, uh, to the higher elevation. So especially if you go straight from like sea level to 10,000 feet. So I took the opposite approach and showed up as late as possible. So the, the, uh, packet pickup and like, you know, registration or whatever closed at five o'clock on Friday. And we got to town at four fifteen on Friday. Uh, nice. I mean, we could have showed up 45 minutes later, but like that would have been really pushing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like we, we got in the car, we had an eight hour drive on Friday and we got in the car and it said we were going to get there at like four ten. So it was like, all right, we, yeah. we got to just keep this drive moving. Nice. Um, so, so got there last minute, you know, showed up to the expo, pretty much everything was closed, got my number, went back to the house. I like did a 15 minute downhill spin to the house, uh, kind of got the bike prepped. Um, and then we ordered a bunch of pizzas and just hung out at the house and went to sleep. Like it was pretty low key. Didn't really do anything other than, you know, get ready for, for racing. And then, um, you know, Saturday, uh, you know, I had this, like, you know, I had a pretty spot on, um, support plan. So I had a couple of friends that were coming, coming down with me and, um, they, they were at the race last year. I helped crew one of them actually. So, they kind of returned the favor this year and we had a perfect like support plan. I was going to get bottles at pipeline and uh, twin lakes alternate um, got bottles outbound and inbound at all four spots, which was awesome. Um, I, I came in not really knowing what to expect of myself. It was five years since I last did Leadville. Um, but that was also my first year racing mountain bikes. So like, you know, I was, super green at that time. Um, you know, not nearly as fit as I am today. Um, not, I mean, I was, I was like pretty bad at mountain biking actually back then. Um, so, you know, I wasn't really sure. I mean, I I knew like for sure sub eight was like well within the cards, but I was kind of hoping for like low sevens, like seven fifteen, seven twenty, something like that. Um, but what, one thing I didn't do was like do the math of like what pacing I needed to actually achieve in order to like hit those, you know, like lower seven, um, time goal numbers. Um, I kind of just like set out with a plan of like, 
riding very conservatively all day, just like making sure I was like always riding within myself and not trying to follow, you know, unnecessary moves and not pushing, um, you know, over my weight above, above the climbs and stuff like that. Um, which like was actually probably good. Cause like when I went back and looked like I actually still kind of jammed up Kevin's, which is like the first climb of the day. Um, mm-hmm. like not even realizing it, it's just like, I don't know, the adrenaline and feeling good and, and stuff. Um, but surprisingly, so like if, if I looked at the first half of my race, not including Columbine, um, cause like Columbine up and down, like power numbers are a little skewed because, uh, one you're climbing the other one, you're descending for 20 minutes. But if you look at like my outbound to, to Columbine and then my inbound from Columbine, there was actually a pretty significant drop off in power too, kind of like you, you were saying, Dylan. So I, mm-hmm. I did like, you know, 250 Watts outbound and then like 200 Watts inbound. You know, so there was a pretty, pretty steep drop off there, even though like it didn't feel like it, like I felt like I kind of kept a pretty even pace all day. Um, I, you know, I think inevitably if you, if you go a little bit too hard early, it's just, you're, you're not going to have as much in the tank later on. Um, but the cool thing was I like never once the entire day, I didn't even like really recognize the fact that we were at 10,000 feet. Um, like I never was out of breath. I never felt like my like, you know, lungs were burning and my legs were burning. Um, I didn't cramp the whole day, which was like one of my big goals. Um, I rode hundred percent of the course. So like I was able to, you know, ride everything, including like, you know, some steep pitches on power line. Um, and I, and I attribute that to just like, well, one, I don't know, I guess showing up last minute sort of worked. Uh, you know, I definitely didn't feel the, the effects of elevation. Um, and two, I just like super conservative pacing, you know, it's, it's so easy in the first two hours to ride pretty hard because you feel good, um, and not, you know, in, and just forget that you've got five more hours of racing. Um, and like, you know, it is still a race. Like even if you're riding moderately conservatively, like you're, you're, you're I still rode at a pace that was like race pace. It just like, wasn't, you know, riding at thresholds, like up every climb. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that really helped, I think, save a ton of energy. Like, even though my power had dropped significantly from the first half to the second half, I still felt pretty strong climbing up power line, climbing up the, the road climb. Um, I was getting kind of like, uh, I don't know about you, Dylan, but like, I didn't take very good mental notes on outbound, like the first 15 miles or so. So there were some like uphills towards the end that I wasn't expecting, um, like getting yeah. up to the top of Kevin's. I was like, I thought like when we got to the top of the road, we were like done climbing for the day. And then there were like a few more pitchy climbs after that one that was like fairly chunky and technical. It was like, Oh, it's, you know, this mm-hmm. is so challenging. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like, I felt so good all day. Um, it, it was pretty, pretty awesome. Um, in hindsight, I think I probably underpaced myself a little bit. You know, I probably had quite a bit more in the tank, especially considering like I finished and like felt good and like, was able to go out and ride the next day and like, you know, jump back into training this week. But that was kind of our plan too. you know, being that this wasn't a priority race, we like, you know, not that we didn't want, not that we wanted to compromise the result or performance at Leadville at all, but you know, I also have bigger goals this year. So Mm -hmm. your other goals. So, you know, I was able to luckily jump straight back into training this week and already have gotten a few hard training rides in and, kind of just you know right back to it um and i think if i had like completely turned myself inside out you know then i'd probably been laid up for a week or something like that sure 
Yeah, I felt like crap when I finished. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and that's, I mean, that's, you know, a race like that, you know, is, it's, that's pretty common, right? I mean, most people finishing, coming across the line are feeling pretty, pretty crummy. Yeah, I, I remember in the last, so, you know, the last, like, false flat gravel and then road. Yep. Uh, I, so going up Columbine, you can count how many riders are ahead of you. And I think I counted like 15 or 16. And then I was like, I was thinking to myself, I was like, okay, I was in 15th place ish there. And then I think, I don't know, four or five riders have passed me since then. And I, and I, I was like, I need to get top 20. And I looked back and there was, there was somebody I didn't, I, they were far enough away that I couldn't tell who it was, but I, there was somebody like coming for me, um, like down the gravel road. Probably, I probably had, I don't know, 45 seconds on them. And I was like, oh man, dude, I can't let another person pass me. I was in so much pain coming up that, uh, that last, that last false fat, flat gravel drag to the finish line i was just like do not let this person catch me and that, and that person was nikki terpstra so oh did so you you, you nipped him though at the line yeah no he didn't okay. catch me so cool yeah yeah that i mean so like for me so you know my my initial goal was um i wanted to beat my time from 2017 by two hours which would have meant a time of 726 mm-hmm. uh so that was kind of like my if i had like a results or time goal that was my initial goal, but I hit the top of Columbine at like a smidge under four hours. And I was like, okay, well, I guess that goal is like completely out the window. Like there's, you can negative split from the top, but there's no way you're like knocking off 40 minutes, um, mm-hmm. you know, or, th- or 30 some minutes. So, so I was like, okay, well, I guess seven forty-five will be a good goal. You know, like I'll just make that my new time goal. And I got to like, the bottom of power line and I was like calculating out. I was like, okay, got to average 13 and a half miles an hour to get to the finish in under 745. And then you like go up a power line and it's so slow that you're like, there's no way I'm going to average 13 miles an hour with like, you know, power line, you're doing like four miles an hour if you're yeah. lucky. Um, but then like, I don't know, then you like rip some descents. So I, I got to that last drag, like you're talking about there and I had to average 15 miles an hour going up the last drag in order to come in. It's under 745. Um, and my time was 745, like on the number, like I crossed mm-hmm. the line. It was like 749 or 744.59 point something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like, I was like, it's kind of like, I was just like, I just have to get up this, this stupid, it was, and it's kind of like chunky and slow at the bottom too. And I was doing like 12 miles an hour and I was like, come on, dude let's go. But, um, so Dylan, so I have a question for you. So now, I mean, unbound's been a huge race for you for what, Mm -hmm. four or five years. Like that's been a a big goal of yours. If Leadville wasn't part of the lifetime grand prix series, would you, would you add this race potentially as another priority event in, in future years? Yeah, I think so. And I, and I'm going to be honest, the main reason is just because I had so much fun in, Colorado for a month like Colorado (laughs) is awesome and I and the acclimation process to me was a lot lot of fun maybe maybe just because I'm in a cool place you know what I mean yeah um I know that a lot of people complain about that they're like oh dude like you know if you want to do Leadville like you got to be rich and go up to altitude for a month I mean 
I don't, I don't know about that. Like I'm not rich. I just work, I just work from wherever I can. I don't have an office. So I mean, it was, it was just sweet being in Leadville or uh, in Colorado for a month. And I like that whole process. So I would, I would totally do it again. Cool. I mean, and it's, it's like the perfect race for you because it's a lot of gravel, but mm-hmm. you're on mountain bikes, but you can also be like super nerdy about your bike setup, which is like, yeah, I, right I love, I, I love races where you can be nerdy about your bike. setup. <laughs> I love races where they allow arrow bars and where arrow bars are in an advantage because honestly, most people are like, they're not going to run arrow bars, even if they're a huge advantage. I mean, unbound is a perfect example. Although, it, like this year, I feel like f- half the people had arrow bars. To be honest with you, but but like Leadville, I mean, you and I were pr- probably one of I don't know twenty people max in the entire race that had arrow bars, right? And it's yeah. it's probably a ten minute difference on this course. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I love being nerdy about bike setup and and it, there are a lot of things to nerd out about Leadville, which I. I like as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's just cool. It's, you know, like some of the gravel races, they like change the course every year to keep things fresh and stuff. Um, I think it's cool that Leadville is the same course. Like yeah. they've had a couple, you know, minor course changes over the years, but more or less it's the same course. So you know what to expect. And like, mm-hmm. it's one of those races where you can just come back and just try and even just improving on your time is like a huge thing, you know? So like, sure. You can, you know, work on your training, work on your bike setup, work on your nutrition, your support crew, whatever, just to come back and improve on your time. And I think that's super cool. Yeah. And and what I realized, because I, I was riding with a bunch of people who've done Leadville, you know, a ton of times. One of the guys that I stayed with has, this was his 10th year doing Leadville. So he got like the, the whatever, the 10 year, the thousand mile award or whatever. Um. Yeah. I mean, your Leadville time, it's kind of like talk, you know, for runners, it's like talking about your marathon time, right? Like, oh, my marathon time is, is sub three hours. Like, oh, my Leadville time is sub seven. You know, it's, it's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, totally. Kaylin, you got anything else? I'm just curious what's next on the calendar for both of y'all. Yeah. So the next lifetime race is uh I'm gonna pronounce it wrong because I pronounce it wrong every Schwamigan. single again. Chekwamegan. Yeah, Shigwamigan. You don't you don't pronounce the G, it's just it's it's like Schwamigan. Schwamigan. Okay, so so yeah. Um Schwamigan is the next one. Also, uh, U.S. classic. Um, apparently, people in Wisconsin take it very seriously, is what I've heard. So, I, I'm, I mean, I'm the the last two races in the Lifetime series are Shigwamigan and Big Sugar. I would say Big Sugar is probably going to be my third A race of the <laughs> calendar. But I'm, I'm, you know, Shigwamigan is part of the. <laughs> part of the lifetime series so i'm taking it seriously i've already been talking to adam about like what the right bike setup might be for it because he's done the race before um so so yeah i i think i'm gonna be doing a lot of vo2 max intervals over the next month you're sneaking shenandoah in there too right i don't think so 
What? I know, I know, because I've won it the last two years, so it's like I need to go back and defend my title. But here, here, here's my reasoning. If I do Shenandoah, um, it it means that you know I should. What I what I want to do to prepare for Shigwamigan is that I want to I want to do a lot of high intensity and VO two max intervals. I potentially want to get in a block week next week, and if I do Shenandoah, then I kind of have to. I don't have to, but it's better if I rest a little bit before Shenandoah, so I'm feeling fresh. And then after Shenandoah, I'm going to be pretty cooked because it's a hundred mile mountain bike race. And it's like the week after that, I'm going to be a little cooked. And then all of a sudden we're in the taper week for, uh, Shiguam again. And I, I've barely done any, any specific training for that race. Mm-hmm. So I was just, I mean, it, you know, I, I don't like skipping Shenandoah, but I think my preparation is going to be better if I do. Fair enough. Yeah. What and about you, Adam? I, I would agree with that. Dylan, if, I mean, um, if, if, if Schwamigan is like a race that, I mean, obviously it's part of the lifetime series, you know, at this point, I mean, yeah, you, you could sacrifice and, and just say, you know, like that could be your drop race and just not prep for it. But, um, it's, yeah. it's one of the easier ones to prep for, honestly, like you come in yeah. with so much endurance, like aerobic fitness, like you do, you know, one block of VO2 max training, and like you can, you can be pretty much primed and ready for a good performance there. So, uh, sure. and it's fun. Um, it's like, it's the, it's the kind of race where like, if you don't make the, you know, the front group or at least like the, you know, the first chase group, it's just going to be like another 40 mile mountain bike ride. But if you make that front group, it's, it's awesome. Like it's a super yep. fun, fun race. So it's like, I don't know. I, I think it makes sense. You know, I, Shenandoah would, would be like the opposite of what you'd be wanting to do in prep right. for first roll again and I, and i already had a bad race at uh crusher and the tusher Crusher. like i was coming right off of covid and and i was also like not acclimated for the altitude at all and i mean i just kind of like did the best i could at that race but it it wasn't that great currently in the lifetime standings that is my drop race and if i could keep that as my drop race and have a good ride at at these last two that'd be preferable. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, Schwamigan will be, um, like it's not technical, but it's technical from the sense of if you're not used to riding in a pack on chundery roads and, in mm-hmm. two track and, you know, some fire climbs and things like that, like, um, it, it can be technical because you, you'd still need skills to navigate the sure. pack racing. If you were just doing a time trial on the course, like, yeah, it's non-technical, but the pack racing is what makes it more challenging from a uh, like a technical perspective. So there will be some guys in the Lifetime Series who will 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 struggle. Like it's only forty mm-hmm. miles, but it's still huge, hugely advantageous to be able to stay in the pack. Um, yeah, and there will be a group that you know probably twenty or thirty that'll that'll go off the front. Um, yeah, it sounds know, so. It sounds like a gravel bike is not the move. Yeah, I mean, I I think I think it'd be a struggle on a gravel bike. Yeah, I think I, high risk of flatting, and it would be challenging to to ride it well enough to to stay in the in the group. Is there is there a high risk of flatting if you're on a mountain bike or no? Um, 
there's there's a slight risk, but it's it not not much. I, I wouldn't yeah. say. Yeah, I was I was texting you about whether I I'm I'm considering putting drop bars on my on my hardtail mountain bike, not only for um, Shaguamigan, but uh, also Big Sugar. Mm-hmm. So Big Sugar is like flat city. Like I think that if you can if you can manage to not flat at Big Sugar, you could have a great day with with average fitness. Um, just because so many people are going to flat, at least that's, that's what it was like last year. So, I mean, I'm either going to have to find some super flat proof tires for the gravel bike or just say like, I'm, I'm doing this on my mountain bike and, and that would be, you know, even more insurance. Um, I mean, I've heard people say that the right tire for, for big sugar is like a 45 mil gravel tire. And in my experience, you you should always take what the recommendation is and then bump that up a size. So if they're recommending a forty five mil tire, I in I haven't ridden the course, but in my mind that means that the right tire is like a two point mountain bike tire. Sure. Yeah, I can see that. So um, let's see, twenty eighteen, I I did like the first year of the Epic Rides Oz Trail off road. Mm-hmm. which is like a 50 mile mountain bike race in Bentonville. And in the pro field, there were only six guys who did not flat. Yeah. And those six guys all finished like top 10. Sure. So like it was, it was the kind of thing where like, if you don't flat, you're, you were almost guaranteed a top 10. Mm-hmm. Um, now the second year, everyone kind of came in knowing that and the flat percentages probably dropped to like 50% but still yeah. like a huge number of people flatted. And then same thing again, last year, the third year, like the, the, the terrain down there and it depends on the conditions too, but um, the terrain is just super conducive to, to, to flats. So, you know, I, I think people will come into big sugar a bit more prepared this year. You know, like they're not going to be on, you know, 38 mil thin wall uh, gravel tires. Um, but I, you know, it's still, I mean, it's, you know, fast race, big pack racing on sharp rocks, like there's still gonna be plenty of flat. So I, I totally agree that if you can, if you can avoid mechanicals there, even if it might cost you a couple minutes, um, you know, of rolling resistance, it could save you five to 10 minutes of trying to fix a sidewall tear. Sure. And you can probably like make up some of that time by ripping some descents and stuff like that too. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. There's a lot to think about for for the Big Sugar, and honestly, that's probably my last A race. It's it's probably my last race of the season, but I'm I'm making it an A race. Uh, I'm gonna try to prepare for it as well as I can. Um, cool. <laughs> kind of my hope is that is that I'll if I can have a mechanical free day and I can be in good shape, I could make up a lot of spots in the Lifetime Series. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, it's a long season. A lot of people are kind of winding down by that point. Mm-hmm. So, and if they've already had a bunch of good races, then maybe they won't be, you know, as as focused on uh, Big Sugar or something. But sure. yeah, that'll be awesome. Um, so, Caitlin, so I'm I'm doing Schwamigan too, um, but two weeks before that, I'm doing a race, hopefully, um, called the Dakota Five O. It's like a 50 mile mountain bike race, and it's a pretty big deal, like regionally, which is kind of why it's like part of my um, a a 
I don't know, peak, peak season, you know, a race planning. Um, it's just like a, it's a pretty big race. Like if you win that race in the regional area, it's kind of a big deal. So, um, and it's like one of the only big races in my hometown, my home state of South Dakota. So, um, so that'll be like early to mid September is kind of like a peak, Mm. a, a, a peak, you know, part of my season. Nice. Nice. You're thinking about doing a marathon mountain bike nationals too. Yeah. I'd like to. Yeah. And, (laughs) um, it'll be interesting because that's the same weekend as big sugar. And I'm not sure if there's going to be guys who are going to try and fly from big sugar overnight to Maryland to race on Sunday. But I know Mm -hmm. that they moved the race from Saturday to Sunday to give those athletes a chance to do that. So that is so gnarly. (laughs) So apparently some, yeah, some people have put in some requests that they want to make sure that they at least have the opportunity Mm -hmm. to race. Um, it's, I, I looked it up. I mean, it's 18 hour drive. So like for sure you cannot drive there. Like you've got to fly from Bentonville into Baltimore. Um, but it sounds like, I mean, yeah, that would be a pretty, pretty gnarly like transfer in between and, you know, have to have bike already packed and things like that. So I, I, I'd be surprised if more than a handful, you know, a couple guys do that. Um, so it'll, it'll probably be a small field, which marathon Nats usually is a small field. Like, you know, the, the elite race, there's usually less than 25 guys in it, but I wouldn't be surprised if this year there's like less than 20. Caitlin, are you yeah. doing marathon Nats? That's the plan. Nice. Cool. Yeah. yeah. It's a good course. It's rocky. It's technical. Um, I think they're making it three laps this year instead of two. So it'll be like an actual marathon race. Sweet. Cool. cool. Well, we're like 40 minutes in and we haven't even gotten to a question yet. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so we've got some listener questions today. Um, Kaylin, do you, do you want to start with a couple that you, you got in on your Instagram? Sure. Um, I know I had a couple, uh, that were, that were similar from, uh, a Brent and a Josh, uh, talking about, uh, if you're just getting into cycling, like basics of nutrition, how to start fueling your rides. Sure. Yeah. Well, I would probably tell them to go listen to the episode that we just did with, uh, Caleb Reese of flow formulas. I mean, we get really in depth on how to, you know, how to fuel for rides there. Um, I, I mean, I, sh- should I get into it or should I just tell them like, go listen to that episode? Because I mean, we were talking for like an hour on that episode about how to do this. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll say that, you know, if you're first getting into it, like it doesn't have to be complicated, but there are certainly products out there that make it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So like in, in one hand, it's like, Oh, I don't want to get all complicated and fancy with these, you know, endurance sports specific you know gels and blocks and bars and drink mixes and stuff like that um but it really does make your life a lot easier so 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 a product like flow formulas it tells you like exactly like you just put a couple scoops in water and like that if if you're if you use it regularly that can be all you need to get through a ride mm-hmm. um you know so it it makes it pretty easy you don't have to think about it it's got the right formulation for uh you know carbohydrates and sodium um, it's, you know, it's easy on your gut. It's, uh, you know, for the most part al- allergen free and you just mix it with water. Like it, it really doesn't get any easier than that. Um, if you're just like trying to, you know, get a better idea of like what you can buy at your grocery store, then you can do like, you know, cliff bars or 
Um, I prefer like the kids Z bars from cliff. Um, mm, you know, you too. could do like granola bars or bananas. I'd stay away from like any other fruits. Like you don't want to have like, you wouldn't want to do like an apple or, or like grapes or, you know, other berries and things like that. Like it want to be hard to carry into might cause some gut issues, but like, you know, bananas are fine. Um, just straight water is okay, but having some electrolytes is always going to be better because you're naturally going to be sweating, you know, and, and losing some, some of those electrolytes during your, during your riding. Um, so you can bring things like propel packets or Gatorade packets or, um, anything that you can like get in the little packet form is, is nice. Cause you can just throw, throw those in your Jersey pocket and dump that into your water after you refill it. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, like the easiest thing is to like, to use the sports specific products. That's just, that's why they exist. Like, yeah, there's opportunity there for them to make a return on their investment, but, um, it's also just way easier and, and just makes sense. Like it, it cuts out all the stuff that you don't need, like, you know, 50% of what's in a granola bar, you're not going to need during your ride. So it's kind of like why, mm. why carry around and lug that extra weight and, and dump that into your gut if it's not going to be necessary. Yeah. I would agree. Um, so go listen to that other that other episode where we do a bit of a deeper dive too. Uh, Josh sent in another really good question. Uh, how early to get into racing for beginners? Mm. I mean, I would personally say I, this is probably a bit of an a, you know opinion. It's not like there's a hard number set in stone, but I would almost say the earlier you can get into racing, the better. I mean, there have people, there have been people who have contacted me like, Oh, you know, my goal is unbound in 2024. I'm like, man, that is so <laughs> far away. Um, and to be honest, I think you race better, the more racing experience you have. So it's not a bad thing to have a far off goal. Like I want to race unbound in 2024 and do well, that doesn't mean don't do any races until unbound 2024. Like you should be doing gravel races until then so that you know how to prepare and race a gravel race. And then because you've done that, you're going to race unbound 2024 better. Um, so, I mean, honestly, like it doesn't matter if you're at a low fitness level or if you've got a lot of weight to lose or if you, you know, had to take a lot of time off for whatever reason. Um, racing, uh, racing, it, racing now is going to help you race better in the future just because you've gotten that experience. And even if the race doesn't go well, it, like the races that don't go well are the races where you learn more right? If the race goes well, you don't necessarily learn a whole lot because it, it went well. And, you know, I, I guess I'll just do that again. But like the races that don't go well, you can finish the race, evaluate what didn't go well and, and adjust in the future. And that that's how you become a better racer. Like, like you rarely see somebody with, with very little race experience doing very well in their first couple races because it takes race experience to race well. So what would you guys say, like, let's just, you know, theoretically someone's first getting into the, you know, bike riding in general, mm -hmm. what discipline would you recommend they enter first if they're going to like jump in their first race? Sure. Um, I mean, I think gravel's a great first discipline. It takes a little bit of bike handling skills. Um, but honestly, 
like the pack riding dynamics of road riding um, is a little bit hard to learn. There's pack riding dynamics in gravel, so you can learn as you go, but it's not quite as important. And also, you know, gravel racing, uh, a lot of times it's just like a mass start event and you don't necessarily have to like figure out which category you're going to be in and it, you know, and the, uh, there's kind of like this, this mentality of, you know, gravel is for everyone. And like, we're all just trying to get to the finish. Like a lot of times it's a race for the first, you know, 20 to 50 riders. And then all the other riders are, you know, they're just trying to get to the finish line, which I think if you're a beginner is a, is a great mentality to have, not necessarily focusing on a result, but just focusing on personal achievement. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would think that gravel riding would be a great first step. I feel like we're all a little biased because I would say, of course, mountain biking. Would be great. <laughs> well, I'm a mountain biker too. I, I, if you're into mountain biking, don't go race gravel, like ra- race what you want to race. But yeah. And of course to be captain obvious, it's kind of dependent on what bike you have. Right. I mean, if you own a mountain bike, you don't want to, it might be a little intimidating to roll up to a, a gravel event and see all these drop bar bikes, but you know, it absolutely can be done. Um, I just feel like the mountain bike scene, if you're not super comfortable riding in a group, you know, they tend to be a little more spread out. Um, and it's just a, a fun environment. So it's funny. So all three of us are mountain bikers, but I'm going to, I want to put cyclocross in the ring here. Mm. Um, cyclocross is a discipline you can do on pretty much any bike. I mean, even if you had a road bike, like it's been done, you could do it. Um, the nice thing with cyclocross is that durations are usually really short. So like if you're a beginner, a cyclocross race is only going to be 30 minutes, which like 30 minutes to us seems like so short, but that's like the equivalent of like a 5k. Like, you know, a lot of people come off the couch and train for a 5k to like to do a 5k in under 30 minutes. So like 30 minutes can still seem like quite a long time to exert yourself if you're just getting into the sport. So to then like, you know, bump that up to, two hours or something for a gravel or mountain bike race could be challenging. So, um, and cyclocross is fun because you do little laps on the same course over and over again. So you get to, you know, practice the, you know, certain features and areas of the course, um, super spectator friendly. And, um, you, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's not a ton of barrier to entry. The hardest part is probably finding a local cyclocross race and they only happen in the fall. So if you're getting into bike racing or bike riding in the spring, you got to wait, but, it's a, it's a, I think it's a pretty entry level, um, like easy to, uh, enter, um, race, race discipline. Um, okay. So I've got a, I've got another one here. Um, so this one comes from Al, uh, and this one's from a couple weeks ago, I think. So he says, hi, Adam. I just listened to the cadence podcast episode 19. What I notice in my cadence has to do with effort slash speed when in a draft line, you know, or pace line. When I'm pulling in, when I'm pulling, I will be in a higher cadence around 95, but when I'm drafting and recovering, I'll drop to a lower cadence in the low 80s while maintaining the same speed. It seems like the higher cadence effort is more efficient for higher efforts, uh, but lower cadence is more efficient for lower efforts. Perhaps since I don't race I experience riding at a lower effort more than you guys. But if you're just out with a friend or two and trading pulls, do you find the same thing happens? 
Yeah. So, uh, what this? What's this guy's name? Uh, Al. Al. What Al is noticing is exactly correct. And if you look at the literature on this, um, that's kind of what they find. It's so the higher that your power is, the higher your cadence is going to be. The higher your preferred cadence is going to be. So if you're just doing a recovery ride you know, your cadence is going to be the lowest that it, that it ever gets unless you're, I don't know, grinding up a hill or something. And then as you increase the power output, your cadence kind of goes up to compensate for the higher power output. And they also, there was an interesting review where they found that, um, you know, pros ride at a higher cadence. But what they said is that it's not it's not necessarily that riding at a higher cadence produces a higher power output. It's more so like, like this is what I said on that podcast. Is it the chicken or the egg? Like which came first, the higher cadence or the higher power output? What, what there's what, what this review seemed to indicate is that it's actually the higher power output that necessitates the higher cadence. So I think a lot of people have this, have this reversed. They think that, okay, I need to put, I need to do a higher cadence in order to put out a higher power output. But the reality is actually that you need to do a higher power output in order for your preferred cadence to be higher. I hope that made sense, but yeah. And I think what you're saying is part of, you know, party is part of this is, um, they're going to be doing a higher power for the for a, 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 lot, a larger percentage of their ride. Mm-hmm. So in order, you know, like if you're saying that, um, and like to go back to what you initially said, you know, a uh, higher cadence is going to be um, at the higher end of your preferred cadence range. That's, that's relatively for each individual. So um, like if your preferred cadence is 85, when you're doing like threshold or higher intensity efforts, your cadence, your preferred cadence is going to be somewhere around that 85 but then if you were to go out and do like a recovery ride, your body just knows like, you know, if, if I'm just trying to ride easy today, like your, your cadence is probably going to drop below 80, you know, it's going to be in the seventies or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but like what you're saying is the pros, they do, you know, that the, there's a higher percentage of their ride that's at higher output. So therefore they're going to be naturally closer to their preferred cadence, which is going to be at the higher end of that range. Mm-hmm. Um, so like what, what Al's experiencing here is when he's on the front in order to put out the power that he needs to, to drive the pace line, his cadence is going to go up because he's now achieving, you know, or reaching towards his preferred cadence at those higher outputs. But then when he, uh, you know, circles back into the, into the back of the group, he's able to recover, come off the pedals a little bit, and he can kind of settle into that more recovery mode, um, mm-hmm. You know, and and I think what he mentioned here too was he he said he spends probably more time just riding endurance versus riding at you know higher intensities like this. So you know it's possible that he just hasn't really found his preferred cadence yet for those higher intensity efforts too. If he's not used to doing those higher intensity efforts, um, like his 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 average cadence for his rides might be lower and, and skewed lower just because he's not riding at hard enough intensities to kind of hit that preferred cadence. Sure. And I mean, that's, that's fine. That's like good training. You should do the majority of your training at, you know, zone two effort. You shouldn't do the majority of your training at threshold. Right. One, because it's not, if you're training, 
with sufficient volume, that's not physiologically possible. And second, I mean, it, it, the research indicates that doing most of your training in, in zone two endurance is, is actually a better way to train. So, you know, yeah, I, I, fi- the finding your optimal cadence is not hard. You just ride at whatever cadence is comfortable for you in that moment. And that in that moment, that is your optimal cadence. So I, the, the conclusion that I've come to in videos that I've done on this after the research I've done on this. And I think in the last podcast that we've done on this is that you shouldn't obsess about cadence. It shouldn't even necessarily be something that you think about a whole lot. You should just ride at whatever cadence is the most comfortable for you. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Okay, so I got another one here. Uh, This one comes from Evan. So he says, my question is about how to avoid junk miles when training outdoors. I'm fairly new to structured training and have always tried to stick to the prescribed plan, but I can't help but wonder if my outdoor rides are missing the mark. I live in a very hilly area. He says 1,000 feet per 10 miles is not uncommon, which is a significant Mm -hmm. amount of climbing. So for example... I have an endurance ride plan with some late VO2 max efforts sprinkled in. More often than not, the terrain dictates my pace and I'm into tempo or above on a climb when I should be at endurance and I am freewheeling down a descent when I should be sprinting. When I get home, my in time, my time in zone chart looks like descending stair steps instead of a more polarized distribution I was going for. I think my answer is to just get really familiar with a specific route and plan my efforts to the terrain, but I do prefer exploring new areas. Any advice on how to execute a training ride well without limiting where I ride? Yeah, so I mean, this is something that not even the fastest pro that you know can do correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Like I guarantee, like doing a endurance ride correctly is... Uh, so hard for people um but basically uh and and, uh, you know it comes down to having the correct gearing on your bike and just being comfortable with going slow on a climb um if you have i if you have a power meter then like let's say that your zone two is 200 watts then, you know, it shouldn't matter whether you're climbing or descending or on a flat, just do 200 watts. And if you are get to a climb and 200 watts is so slow that you're grinding at a cadence of 45 RPM, then you need easier gears on your bike to compensate for that. Um, you know, I, 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 what most people do is they you know, they're, they're go out for a ride. If they're on a flat, you know, they're just kind of, they're pedaling, uh, at a comfortable, you know, power output. Then they get to a climb and their speed drops so dramatically that they're just like smashing it at 400 Watts up the climb to maintain their speed. And then when they get to a downhill, it's so easy to maintain speed that they're maybe doing 25 Watts. Right. Um, I actually remember there's a YouTuber that had a video on his, his video was something, the, the title was something provocative, like, uh, climbing, you know, 
uh, climbing isn't harder or something or, or so his, the point of the video was that people say that, that doing climbs on the bike is harder than doing flats or downhills. And, and he was trying to argue that it's not harder. And he talked about a lot of what I talked about. And I actually commented on his video. I'm like, the, the reason people think that climbing is harder is because they're putting out more power on the climbs, whether they realize it or not. If you actually go and do a ride where you put out the same power on a climb, a flat, and a descent, your perception of what's harder and easier will be flipped. You will think that it's harder to maintain that power output on the descent and easier to maintain that power output on the climb. Um. So, yeah, I mean, getting back to this guy's question, like, make sure that you have the right gearing on your bike and don't be afraid to go, to crawl up a climb. Like, you know, I, I sit like, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's a group of guys at the college that I sometimes ride with. If I'm doing an endurance ride, they drop me and they make fun of how slow I am. But like, if we get to race day, I, I destroy them all. Like what I say is like, I have nothing to prove on a training day, specifically a zone two day. There's absolutely nothing to prove. I have everything to prove on race day. Yeah. Yeah. And and especially Evan, like you're talking here, you like to go like on adventure rides. So I would say, you know, get the, get the biggest, you know, I guess it'd be the smallest gear ratio you can on your bike, you know, throw that, that compact crank and, 1134 or 36 cassette on there. Uh, make sure you have at least, I would say a one to one gear ratio. Um, and, and that'll make, that'll make it a lot easier to do kind of what we're talking about here. And then, you know, also I, I would make sure like if you're trying to do efforts, like it's one thing to go out an endurance ride and just kind of ride to the terrain and, and make sure you've, you've got the gearing you need to, you know, to be conducive for that. Um, but if you're doing efforts, like you're talking about sprinkling and VO two max efforts, I would be a bit more selective with where you do those, you know, mm-hmm. find a hill to repeat or find a flat section to, you know, ride back and forth on. Um, but don't just throw those in randomly. Like you're talking about, you know, you needing to sprint downhill. If you're needing to sprint downhill, then you're doing it at the wrong time. Um, you know, unless you're like, you know, going way back to one of our earlier episodes talking about sprint training, that's different, but you know, I'm, I'm guessing here you're talking about those VO2 max efforts. Find somewhere along your route. You know, if you if you come to a hill and you weren't quite prepared to do your VO2 max efforts yet, but it's like the perfect three-minute climb, just do them there, knock them out, and then finish your ride, you know, on the rest of your route. Um, but don't don't be doing VO2 max, uh, you know, work on downhills or blowing through stoplights or anything like that. Like, find find an area where you can do it properly. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Kaylin, you got any more? I've got a couple. Um, let you go. I'm just going to say, if it's under two hours, I love the trainer. I'll be honest. Oh. You know, <laughs> even for endurance rides, because you can go out and, you know, even he mentioned kind of the way the graph looks. Um, it doesn't have that. It's more of that stair step versus the, I forget the term that he used. He said polarized, but. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even though you're in that average range for your endurance where you should be, I mean, it's not like sitting at, you know, what you said, 200 watts, is, if that's your zone two, sitting at 200 watts for two hours straight. Like, mm-hmm. there's some 
real adaptations to be had when you're doing that kind of work. Sure. So. Bring in some real controversy there, Caitlin. Mm. <laughs> I never ride on the trainer. I like, even if it's, you know, well below freezing, I just, I just go outside. No, but you are right, though. Like, especially if you live in like an urban setting or something, too. Like the trainer can be a key tool. Yeah, to just for efficiency. nailing your training. And I don't like having to drive to ride. Right now, I live kind of in an area where to get to some good riding, I have to. Yeah, I have to drive for for safety too. So sure. All right. So I got another question here. This is maybe a good one for Dylan because you're going to be coming into. Uh, VO2 max block here soon. Yeah. Uh, so this is from Sean. He says, thank you guys for the content. I always look forward to new episodes of the matchbox and also the bonk bros. He says, Scott McGill is such a gem on bonk bros. <laughs> <laughs> Tip your hat to Scott McGill. Uh, so he says, when I do workouts such as 30 thirties, my heart rate just barely reaches 180 beats per minute while my max is over 200. Mm. I did one of these workouts today with three sets of 20, 30 second work interval. So 30 seconds on 30 seconds off with eight minutes of rest in between targeting 130% of FTP for each burst. I felt pretty maxed out with that amount of Watts and work. Is it expected that I would see uh, that I wouldn't see a higher heart rate during these intervals? Am I getting the intended benefit of the workout? If I'm intending to target my VO two max zone and what types of workouts would intentionally target an athlete's ability to ride above 90% of max heart rate? Uh, I understand I am probably omitting valuable information to properly answer the question, but figured I could at least uh, be a topic of discussion. I assume that 180 beats per minute is probably around my anaerobic threshold, so any workout targeting time above that point is probably anaerobic in nature. But what do you guys think? Yeah, so... If you're at 30 thirties is, is probably not the best way to hit your max heart rate. If you're, if you're wanting to hit your max heart rate, I would just do a kind of traditional all out VO two max effort where maybe you're riding as hard as you possibly can for five or six minutes. Um, the, the thing with the 30 thirties, right. Is you're resting every 30 seconds. And so a lot of times your heart rate ends up being, you know, your heart rate at the end of the effort ends up being more like what you would see during a threshold effort. Uh, if your max heart rate is 200 and you're only getting up to 180, I will admit that that's a little bit lower than I would expect. Like I, I would, I would maybe expect you to be able to get up to 185 or even 190 if you're really pushing it. But I don't necessarily think that this is like some sort of red flag, uh, especially, I think you got to keep in mind too, that if you're, if you're in the middle of a hard training block, then your heart rate is going to be a little bit lower from fatigue. So, you know, maybe if you can hit 200 beats per minute in the middle of a, you know, a race when you're fresh, but you can't hit, you know, uh, 200, you know, beats per minute in the middle of a training ride when you're fatigued, that that's, it's not necessarily, an indication that you're doing something wrong. Um, so yeah, I mean, you shouldn't necessarily be able to hit your max heart rate during a 30, 30 interval session. Um, and if you're not hitting your max heart rate during a 30, 30 session, that's, that's not, that's not an indication that you're 
necessarily doing anything wrong. Um, I would people people will often ask how do I pace a VO2 max workout or a 30-30 session? And and the honest answer, it's like, you know, should I do 130% of threshold? Should I do 140%? You know, like what percent of threshold? Honestly, you shouldn't be thinking that way. <laughs> like you should do, you shouldn't even I'll glance down at my power meter to make sure that I'm still in the right rough range. Um, and, and I also, towards the end of the workout, I glanced down at my power meter to make sure that my power hasn't dropped too significantly. Cause there's a point at which the power is dropping so significantly that I should probably just end the 30, 30 session there. But it's not like you're like a threshold session where you're staring at your power meter to make sure you're in the right zone. You should just be do like when it comes to 30, 30 workout or VO two max session, you should just be doing these intervals almost as hard as you can. And that's, that's how you pace it. Like you get to the end of the interval and you're gasping for breath and you can't go any longer. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I, I, don't think I ever look at what my actual power is during the 30 seconds. Like it's just not long enough. Mm-hmm. Um, can also be kind of dangerous if you're, you know, just staring down at your power meter for 30 seconds. Sure. Um, so I just pulled up like a, one of my workouts. I haven't done 30 thirties in like a year, but, um, you know, I, I did, I did a set of 30 thirties during a block period about this time last year. And it was three by 12 And my, my max heart rates, like one, 94 to 195 and my threshold heart rate's about 180 so kind of similar to um to this guy here sean um my so for the first like 12 minute um my max heart rate for that duration was 178 then for the second 12 minutes my max heart rate was uh 182 and then it wasn't until the last uh the last one where i hit 185 and that was like I mean, for me to hit 185 in training, um, it's pretty hard to do. Like that's, uh, you know, that's, that's getting up there in, in a fatigue state. Um, but that just goes to show like you don't, you, you shouldn't be getting close to your max heart rate during a 30, 30, uh, workout. All right. You guys want to do one more and we'll, we'll wrap it up. Sure. We'll do Sounds one good. more. Do we have a lot more questions or is this the last question? Uh, I have, I have one more in, in my, um, like archived a lot here, but Keelan, I don't know about you. I had gotten about two more through the Instagram. Okay. We can, we right. can just do one more and save the other two for, for a later episode. Sounds good. Well, let's take one of yours, Keelan. All right. Um, oh, this is a, this is a loaded one. This is going to have to be a, a podcast, uh, on its own training and oh, racing boy. in well, relation. We'll, to- we'll save that one. Oh, all right. <laughs> let's do, let's do a knockout a short one. Okay. Uh, how to stay focused. This comes from Jackie. How to stay focused when riding longer distances or more intense mm. mentally draining races. There's a lot there. Um, so music, you guys, are you guys music folks on longer mm-hmm. rides or even races? Yeah, I do music. I think it helps. I, I, I did a video on it too. There's a, there's a little bit of research on how, you know, how music helps uh, helps endurance performance and it's probably everything that you would already assume. So 
They found that endurance performance was improved with music, but it's improved with music even more if it's high tempo music. And also it's improved even more if it's music that the participant, you know, the study participant actually likes. So, you know, if it's high tempo and music that you like, which I don't know why you would listen to anything else while you're riding. <laughs> like, I don't know why you would listen to like some slow music that you hate, but it, it, yeah, it, it helps. Um, also I, I did a video on mental toughness where I talk about how to like get through hard efforts. And, um, it was quite a while that I made that video, but I remember one of the techniques was chunking. Boom. So, you know, you can do this during a hard effort or you can just do this during a long ride. Um, you know, breaking that ride or that effort into chunks. Like let's say that you're doing a 20 minute threshold effort, which is quite, quite a long threshold effort, you know, maybe break that into five minute chunks. Like just say, okay, like I need to get through the first five minutes. Okay. Now I'm through the first five minutes. I just need to get through the second five minutes. Like don't think about how you have 20 minutes left to ride at threshold. Think about how you got five minutes left. And then think about how you got five more minutes left. Think about how you have five more minutes left. Um, you do the same thing for a long ride too. If you've got five hours to ride, break that into hour, like one hour segments. Don't think about how you've got to ride for five hours. Yeah. Let's touch on the the second part of that question too, where she said more mentally draining races, how to stay focused during that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, music is often frowned upon or not allowed during racing. So sure. What what goes through your head, Dylan, during Leadville? Yeah. Um, Did you have music at Leadville? No. Were you okay. allowed to have music at Leadville? I don't know. I did, but... <laughs> nice. Yeah, uh, I don't usually race with music, even if it's a very long race. Like, I didn't have music at Unbound. I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever raced with music, actually, which is interesting because I train with music all the time. But um, And I just said it helps with endurance performance, so perhaps I should try it. <laughs> The, I'll, I'll take that back. The only race that I ever did with music was the 24 hours of old Pueblo. Um, oh, okay. Because mm. it just seemed like 24 hours of listening to nothing was going to be uh, quite draining if the race wasn't draining itself already. So, <laughs> um, yeah, s- staying mental. I, I feel like I'm so mentally engaged during a race there's always like something to do whether it's whether it's you know tactically with the people that i'm riding with whether it's nutrition like constantly thinking like you know when's the last time i had a gel when's the last time i had a sip of my bottle um like i'm thinking about the course and how there's a climb coming up or how there's a descent coming up i don't I'll be honest, I don't have a lot of issues staying focused during a race. I would say, though, that that if that is an issue for you and you have trouble staying focused during a race, I mean, that that chunking technique can easily work for a race, just just like it can work for a training ride. Uh, You know, let's say you're doing a 100-mile mountain bike race. Instead of thinking about how you've got 100 miles left to ride, maybe break that into 25-mile chunks right like just say like i gotta get through the first 25 miles oh i gotta get through this 25 mile segment a race like leadville i mean it's super easy to chunk it like you can say like okay here's the here's the power line segment i just gotta make it through power line here's columbine i just gotta make it through columbine 
like races where there's there's like distinct climbs where the whole race isn't the same you know either the the scenery changes or the terrain changes i I feel like you can do this pretty easily and you just think about getting through that segment that you're currently doing um don't think about what you have ahead of you yeah so and i i like to use a bit of forward thinking sometimes where like when i'm really getting beat down during a race and like i'm ready to just throw on the towel and sit up and ride easy to the finish or something I'll often think about like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to look back on this race and I'm going to be kicking myself if I didn't push myself like as hard as I could. Mm. Um, Cause that happens. Like you, I'm sure we've all been there where it's like, you look back and you're like, gosh, I, I, you know, I got to the finish line and I, I knew I had more in me than I, you know, than, than I, you know, was putting out. Right. Um, and it's like, that's why we do what we do. We, we train, we prepare, you know, we, we do all the things we need to. So when it comes to race day, we can leave it all out there and not look back and, and regret that we didn't, uh, you know, push ourselves to those limits. Um, and sometimes like finding those new limits are what gives you kind of this like breakthrough performance for future events too. So like being able to push through those cramps, being able to push through those mentally tough times gives you a one up for the next the next event that's, you know, forthcoming, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like, that's, that's how we have breakthroughs. So that's usually like a technique that I'll use is like trying to have that forward thing. You're like, what is tomorrow's self going to tell today's self? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's what I, that's what I say about, um, <laughs> uh, that's what I say about like DNFing races is that, is that you're, you need to think about what the exactly what you said, what your future self is going to think about that. And you're always going to feel better getting to the finish line. Um, even if you had a bad race than if you, if you DNF, you know, so totally. Yep. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap it there. Unless you have anything else to add, Caitlin, it looked like you were doing laundry or something, but. (laughs) <laughs> just to, well i was i was listening just to piggyback <laughs> off what you were saying adam um yeah i feel like we often start to write the narrative of our race in our head and when we're about ready to throw in the towel like we picture who's waiting for us at the finish line and like if we pulled out early what we're going to tell them what excuses we're going to have but if you catch yourself doing that you can start to rework that and say well actually you know I overcame this, this, and this to get to the finish line. Um, (laughs) This sounds so ridiculous, but like I watched so much World Cup mountain bike racing that like I have a little Rob Warner in my head narrating my race for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, here comes Kate up the inside. Oh, she got to do it. And just like, (laughs) I don't know, just that's, that's my little trick. It makes it fun. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Sweet. Well, we'll save the rest of the listener questions for next week, but, uh, this was fun. I, I kind of like this style of just, instead of having like a main topic, just having like questions that we can answer helps Mm -hmm. keep things kind of fresh and challenges us a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Keep sending those in. Yep. All right. Thanks everyone. We'll catch you next week. See ya. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the matchbox podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email titled The Matchbox Podcast. 
Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch y'all soon. Let's go! Let's go!